there's not 26 different versions of the same file floating around in different emails. You know, this, this consultant has a version that's a week old and this consultant has a version that's two days old and they're not really working on the same, the same information. With BIM 360, everybody's working on the same thing. That's According to independent research conducted by Vance and Bjorn, 70% of AEC firms feel the deluge of project information is holding them back from effective collaboration. Worse still, only 4% of construction managers say their organizations are collaborating highly effectively and see no major need for improvement. So what can be done to turn this tide? Welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast. I'm your host, Todd Wyant, and this is the show where we empower you to transform industries by championing innovation. You're invited to join my mission to embrace and share the innovations transforming the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing industries. If you like our show and you want to know more, check out our new website, bridgingthegappod.com. And please share with your friends and coworkers while leaving us a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, I'm excited to welcome back Matt Dillon, Core Services Director at Applied Software. Welcome back to the show, Matt. Thank you, Todd. Happy to be here. Yeah. Can you start by describing a day in the life of an architect, you know, 20, 30 years ago, and how is that different from today? Yeah, there's been a lot of changes, obviously. Um, 20, 30 years ago, a lot of us were still drawing on paper for that matter. Um, um, but, you know, from a, a bigger picture, you know, projects were being delivered differently. I mean, a, a typical project 30 years ago was your was done with the old um, design bid bill process where an architect would do the design work and maybe pull in a few consultants at some point, like a mechanical engineer, structural engineer. Um, but everything was being done via fax, maybe email. Um, email was a fairly new thing 30 years ago. Um, so collaboration was, was pretty low, low tech. And then we didn't involve contractors and so forth until the project had gone out to bid and then a contractor was selected. And at that point, then we would start working with them, but always, you know, as the owner's representative. So it was a very kind of a linear process. Um, there were always things that turned up in the, in the end stages of the project, you know, what we consider the end stages of the project where the contractor was able to finally contribute and, and identify things that we hadn't caught in, in our design process or that we hadn't thought of, which caused a lot of rework and um, change orders, things like that. So made it a lot more expensive and it took a lot longer to get projects done. And it was a lot more frustrating and it was a very adversarial relationship. Everybody was really more interested about avoiding being sued for a mistake that they had made than actually developing a good product. Interesting. So you just kind of tapped on this a bit, but the old way of design, it, I mean, it worked pretty well for a long time. It got the job yeah, hundreds done. hundreds of years. Yeah. Yeah. So they built cathedrals, right? <laughs> that's right. They built some pretty <laughs> impressive stuff there. Uh, so why do people need more connected workflows today? Well, I mean, it's, there's a lot of things. Um, you know, projects are being delivered differently now. I mean, we still have design bid build, but we're moving more and more toward other, other project models where like construction manager at risk and uh -huh. uh, integrated project delivery and all of these new means of, of, of working on projects means that people that typically weren't brought into the process till further downstream are now being involved earlier and earlier in the process 
and there's more back and forth going on, even in schematic design. Now we're getting input from contractors and in some cases, even fabricators and so forth. You've got prefabricated construction now. Um, all of that has, a, has an impact on how on the need to collaborate and how we collaborate and how we deliver projects. Um, projects are much more fast paced because of that. Um, so there's that to consider. And the other thing is simply cost. Uh, we cannot continue to build projects the way we have in the past because it just costs too much. It's too wasteful and there's, there, it's not sustainable. Uh -huh. So how has having better collaboration tools changed the day to day in the AEC industry? You know, 30 years ago, we would share things by fax or email or even snail mail or go to somebody's office for a visit or something. But now with, with cloud-based collaboration tools, <clears throat> first off, if you're using the right collaboration tool, you've got what I like to refer to as a single source of truth. You'll probably hear me say that a few more times today. It's one of my favorite phrases these days. Everybody knows that they're working with the correct version of the document, whatever that document might be, whether it's a building model or it's a specification or whatever. Um, by using cloud collaboration, everybody is using the same version of the same document. Things can happen a lot quicker. You don't have to worry for, you don't have to wait for somebody to get around to emailing you something or sharing it on FTP site. Everything is hosted in a cloud project and it happens pretty much live as you're working on it. So it impacts the pace of the project, and because everybody's working on the same version of the document, there's less confusion, meaning less change orders, and ultimately less money involved. Interesting. Uh, so let's maybe take a, a step back. How would you define successful collaboration, and then what are some of the, the benefits of good collaboration? Um, su well, successful collaboration is really about communication. Um, and again, the, the cloud-based collaboration tools facilitate that a lot more. We can get more into that in a minute if you like. Um, the benefits are less frustration, a less adversarial relationship. I think when people start collaborating, what I've noticed is when people start truly collaborating, those old attitudes of, you know, let me avoid getting sued first and, and then see what I can do to make this a meaningful project start to go away and people tend to become a bit more trusting and more collaborative and it, it, it actually fosters more of a team, uh, a team approach. And there's a really good book on this subject. Um, it really doesn't get into technology a whole lot. It talks more about collaborative approaches and attitudes. And it was written by uh, the, uh, the Associate Vice President of uh, Planning and Design at Rice University, Barbara White Bryson. And the title of the book is called The Owner's Dilemma. And whether you're an owner or an architect or an engineer or a fabricator or a subcontractor, I would recommend picking up a copy of that book. You can get it on Kindle for not a whole lot of money. And um, just see what she has to say about the whole collaborative cooperative approach versus the adversarial nature that we're all so used to. Interesting. So it's really trying to get the, your, your guard down, let your guard down and yeah, just yeah, be open. Yeah, I realized that you know, at the end of it, we all want to develop a good project, right? Otherwise, why are we doing this? So sure. if, we, if we start from that premise and we, we understand that, yes, there is risk involved on any project, but instead, instead of exercising risk avoidance, which is what we've all done in the past, risk aversion, if you will, um, we, we instead turn that around and make it risk management. Yes, we know things are going to happen. How do we deal with them in, in, in good faith? The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. 
With Solutions for the Modern Project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. So what would be some of the common hesitancies of people when they're trying to collaborate more? What would be a, a barrier and stop them? Um, I think security is something that people get concerned about. They want to protect their data, which is understandable. I mean, even in a collaborative environment, there's intellectual property and so forth that you want to protect. So that's something that people are concerned about. Um, I think the other thing is simply confusion, um, not really knowing what's out there as far as collaboration and, and how to use the tools, because they are tools that you need to learn how to use just like anything else. Uh so what would be some of the, the pitfalls that uh, when people are trying to collaborate that they, they need to be more mindful of? And then can you dish some of the, you know, collaboration gone wrong stories that... <laughs> <laughs> um, first off is understanding what is collaboration and what collaboration isn't. And this kind of goes to collaboration gone wrong. Collaboration is not storing files in Dropbox or... Uh, an FTP site or something, or even going so far as to try to host a Revit central model in, in a Dropbox folder. I've had customers try to do that. Hey, we need to collaborate with this other firm. We need to do a joint venture or something. We want to all work in the same Revit model, but we don't want to let them behind our firewall, understandably. So let's put that central model up in a Dropbox folder, and they find out real fast that it just doesn't work. You know, it's not like you're putting it in a regular file folder, and it, it Revit doesn't communicate with it properly. So it's understanding the tools, right? Understanding, again, what's available and how to use it and understanding what true collaboration is. Dropbox is not collaboration. Dropbox is file storage and file sharing, but that's, that's different. Interesting. Uh, so studies have shown that about 68% of firms that have implemented a collaboration technology solution do not have strong, well-developed strategies and goals and objectives before they, they bring that uh, solution in-house. And then 68% of those firms uh, only experience partial success because of it. Right. How would you go about building a, a strategy for looking at the technology options that are available? You know, frankly, I think I'd approach it like we do just about any other um, workflow implementation type of, of engagement where it's we look at the firm, look at what their their current pain points are, what their current bottlenecks are, and then look at what they're trying to accomplish. I mean, you got to have a goal in mind, right? So even if they don't know that they have a goal in mind, we can help them determine what their goals are. And then once we know what the goals are, we can structure a collaboration workflow that'll work for them. The tools are pretty straightforward, really. It's just a matter of, okay, which pieces and parts of these tools do you want to use and how do you want to use them? Yeah. Uh, so I read that uh, on average, AEC firms spend about 4000 per year per employee on technology acquisitions. But, you know, there's literally hundreds of, of different collaboration <laughs> technologies in the market and, and more coming up online seemingly every right. minute. <laughs> How does a firm make sense of, of, the op, of the options out there, let alone create success with any of them? Once again, I think it comes back to understanding the tools available, right? And we can help with that because there's <clears throat> collaboration is different depending on where you are in the design build process, you know, or, or further on into owner uh, occupancy. 
Um, so if you're a contractor, for example, you're going to use or, or need a different set of collaboration tools and technology than, say, an architect would or a fabricator would or, or for sure, an owner would, right? So what we can do is, is help you determine where you fit in that spectrum and then which of the tool sets are applicable to what you do and how they translate to the other tool sets that other people maybe downstream or upstream might be using because this is a, it's a continuous process through gotcha. the entire uh, cycle. Yeah. Uh, so one of those uh, tools is Autodesk BIM 360. It's consists of, you know, a variety of different cloud-based uh, tools for virtually the, any phase of the, the project from the conceptual design through construction to handover to building operations and maintenance even. Uh, but because it's so all-inclusive, it's all, there's a lot of confusion around yep. BIM 360 and, you know, how does it apply to each principle and uh, each discipline for that matter and where does it fit in the BIM process? Can you shed some light on this? Yeah, you're right. The, the BIM 360 uh, kind of world, if you will, is... is at first glance, fairly complex. As a matter of fact, I had a, a meeting with a customer this morning, which that was the whole purpose of the meeting was to help them make sense of, okay, what is BIM 360? What all does it include? And then what, out of all of the things that it includes, what does it, what parts of it would they be interested in using and how would they use it? And, and you know, if you want to get into detail, we start off with uh, just basic document management, right? That, that's at the foundation level of BIM 360 is just simple document management. And by that, I mean being able to view a Revit model or an AutoCAD drawing or a Navisworks model and mark it up and then maybe even create issues that you can assign to different people to resolve and then track the progress of those issues. And that's where we come back to communication in collaboration, real-time, same version of the document. Everybody can understand what's happening. Everything is documented in the cloud so that you can actually see who did what, when, to what. Um, that's document management. And then if you're someone who's actually working in a live Revit model and you need to host that in the cloud, then you add the BIM 360 design functionality to that, and it plugs right in. So you have the document management functionality for markups and issues, but then you have BIM 360 design that lets you allow multiple people to work on the same cloud model and actually author that information in the cloud. If you go a little bit further in the process, um, maybe you are a contractor and you're needing to do clash detection, or maybe you are on the design side, but you would like to do clash detection, then we can add the BIM 360 coordinate tools, model coordination, BIM 360 glue, even Navisworks uh, to do that. And then further on down the stream is the, uh, the contractor himself or herself that is trying to manage the project in the field, which is BIM 360 build. right? So it just kind of depends on what your role is. And again, the owner, we get into BIM 360 ops, or building ops, yeah. right? So it just kind of depends on where you are in the spectrum as to which of those tools that are all pretty much built on BIM 360 document management, uh, which of those would resonate with you. And Autodesk has been pr pretty smart about packaging the bundles to fit those various parts of the, of, the, of, the, of the design and build process. You can mix and match, but usually there's one bundle that will resonate specifically to a particular persona or role. Nice. So a little something for everybody and maybe even mm -hmm. help with scalability. Yeah, and they talk to each other. So as an architect, if I'm using BIM 360 design, well, that same information can, trans can be used on downstream by the contractor using BIM 360 build. 
So what, in your opinion, are some of the kind of primary services and, and benefits of the overall platform BIM 360? Uh, here I go again, single source of truth. To me, that's the biggie, right? It's like there's not 26 different versions of the same file floating around in different emails. You know, this this consultant has a version that's a week old, and this consultant has a version that's two days old, and they're not really working on the same the same information. With BIM 360, everybody's working on the same thing. That's really, to me, one of the primary benefits. Of course, you also have security. Now, that's a concern of a lot of people. We mentioned that earlier. BIM 360 allows you to have total control over who sees what when or if at all, right? And what they can do with it. Can they see it? Can they edit it? Can they share it with other people? There's, there's a whole series of layers of permissions that you can use. And you can make it as simple or as complex as you want, but the tools are there to, pr to protect your data at the same time, allowing you to share it with who you need to share it with. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software's Live Lab Learning, a virtual classroom experience where students can listen, interact, and learn from veteran real-world application specialists in real time from anywhere in the world. LiveLab is the affordable, convenient way for your staff to take Autodesk certified training courses and even earn some AIA continuing education credits, all from the comfort of your own office. Visit ASTI.com for more information and let them know we sent you. Nice. It sounds like it just really helps streamline and create efficiency across the board. It does. You know, I, nice. I, to be honest, you know, I, I see people all the time. They, they first get into BIM 360. They're very, very kind of, um, they use little pieces and parts of it, right? But the more they use it, the more they start to use. And after a while, when you talk to them, they go, I would not use anything else for collaboration. This is, you know, once they get past that initial hump of understanding what it does and, and, and how it works. Yeah, you got to get ramped up on that. that learning curve. Yeah. On the BIM 360 design side, um, we can usually train people to be uh, productive in that from a project administration standpoint through um, actual end user experience in about four hours. Oh, wow. That is pretty quick. Yeah, it's, <laughs> That's it's not a bad. pretty short learning curve. It's not hard to learn. It's just really a lot of it is just understanding the interface and then um, kind of the workflow. It's not so much picks and clicks, you know, which tool does what. Those are easy to figure out. Interesting. Uh, so you just mentioned BIM 360 design. How does that help with collaboration? So BIM 360 design is specifically geared for people who are using Revit. And you can use it two ways. Um, you know, the way that gets the most publication is I can have multiple people from different parts of the planet, different organizations. We're all coming at it from, from you know, different firewalls. Um, I can literally host a model in the cloud securely um, and anybody can, that I invite to that model can actually work in that model. It's as if I was hosting a Revit work shared model for those of you that are familiar with work sharing on a local file server, but I'm not, it's in the cloud. Um, but it's secure. Uh, performance is, you know, pretty much comparable to what you experience on your local network. Uh, the people I was showing it to this morning were kind of shocked when I told them I was working out of my house on a kind of an AT&T mid-range consumer grade Wi-Fi network when they saw how fast things were moving up and down. So there's that aspect, being able to collaborate live, multiple people in the same project over the internet in a work shared environment, just as if they were in their local uh, file system, their local uh, network. But then the other part of, of BIM 360 design is what I call the design collaboration workflow, which is even if I'm not actually working in someone else's live model, 
they can make that model available to me at certain critical points in the process. They can say, okay, we're at a point, we need to publish this version. And I won't get into all the technical mumbo jumbo, but essentially it allows them to control when they make a particular version of the document available to others. And then as a consumer, I can choose, maybe as an MEP engineer, for example, I can say, well, you know, the architect just shared this version of their architectural model, but I'm not quite ready to consume that yet. And that happens sometimes. I'm really not ready to address those changes. I'm going to mm -hmm. hold off on that. And I can choose when to consume the data. So there's control on both sides of it. Nice. It sounds like the flexibility there is pretty mm -hmm. incredible. Quite a bit, yes. Nice. So how do you go about helping designers and builders see the value of collaboration and then the, the purpose for information exchange? You know, uh, uh, it's, it's not really difficult to, for them to see the benefit. A lot of times they already know that there's a need for collaboration. They just don't know how to do it. They don't know what's available. So usually if I can just show somebody what BIM 360 design does, for example, if we're talking to, again, someone on the design side, it doesn't take very long for them to see the benefits. Um, this morning when I was uh, dealing with my customer, you know, I showed them a few things in BIM 360 docs and one thing in particular that they were having issues with were, you know, tracking um, what we what we used to call in the industry red lines, right? So back 30 years ago, if, you know, if I was working on a project, I might be reviewing a set of construction documents that were about to be issued and I would see things that would need to change. Well, I would generate a set of blue lines, blueprints is what a lot of people call them, mark them up with what, with a, literally a red felt tip pen, and I'd pass them down the line to somebody to address. Well, that's a very manual process, but it, it's got a purpose. Well, in BIM 360 docs, you can elect electronically mark things up, but then you can specifically assign those markups to somebody to address, and you can track the progress, and there's a communication that goes on back and forth uh, until you reach closure on it, and it's all track. It's all easy to see what's going on. So when I showed them that, it just it was like the light bulb went off in their head. So it's usually one or two things that they're struggling with in, the collabor in, in whatever they're using for collaboration now, that if you can identify what that is, it's causing them pain and show them that what BIM 360 does to alleviate that, that's usually all it takes. Nice. Uh, so how do you make project goals and aspirations important and really meaningful to all the, the members and, and stakeholders of the team? I would hope that they would already be meaningful, but once everybody realizes that, look, we're all in this together, we're supposed to be a team, I think yeah. that that just naturally starts to happen. Um, uh, again, what I, what I see when, when people really start truly collaborating is that they tend to have more of a stake, if you will, in the outcome of the project than just, you know. Yeah, getting that buy-in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so similar lines, uh, how do you set up the expectations across the team on how to use BIM? Uh, BIM, I feel like, means a, a lot general. of different things to a lot of different people. <laughs> yeah, it, and it is different things to different people. Again, it depends on, on what your role is. Um, you know, I taught a class on this at AU last year. I, I don't want to say I taught a class. I presented on this topic at AU last, Autodesk University last year. And wow. really, um, what I try to stress to people is that, you know, back in 30 years ago, again, you know, we moved from paper to CAD, right? And that was a pretty big change, but it wasn't a disruptive change. And that's the key term here is disruption. We learned to do what we used to do on the drafting table with a T-square and a triangle and a compass and all those other little tools. 
to doing it on the computer. And so you just had to learn how to use AutoCAD or any of the other CAD programs that were out at the time to do basically the same thing. It was still drafting. It was still basically the same process. But now we're going from CAD to BIM, and that's a disruptive change. And what people need to realize, and what I always stress when I'm talking to people about BIM, is this is not just buying some software and getting some training and thinking you're going to be able to do BIM. It's a whole process change, and it impacts your entire organization, not just the people that are involved in the actual project work, but it could, it, it could impact every aspect of the way your office works. And so you need to be prepared for that, and then we can help um, um, with those workflows and, and implementation strategies and help you move forward. The other thing about BIM is you don't want to bite off more than you can chew. I call it trying to boil the ocean, right? Um, pick, you know, five benefits. What do you want to get out of this? Why are you forced to do it, or are you doing it because you think there's some benefit? Well, what are the benefits you think are out there? Let's focus on five of them. And if you're being forced to do it, and by forced, I mean you've got a mandate from an owner that you've got to do a BIM deliverable, and it's like, well, if you don't do this, we're going to lose the work. You know, there's that aspect. Fine. I can give you five benefits. Let's let's throw 20 benefits up here that I know of for BIM, and let's focus on five that you can take advantage of since you've got to do this anyway, and let's do that. Break it up into smaller pieces that are easily attainable um, and, and will give you most the most bang for the buck right off, right off the bat, and then once you've attained those, then we start looking further down the line. The other thing I preach with this is what I call a culture of continuous improvement. You've never fully reached BIM maturity because as soon as you have developed what you think is a mature BIM process, the technology has changed, and there's more benefits that you can get from it, and more benefits that your that your customers are wanting from it, or or will be wanting from it at some point. So you need to be looking for ways of constantly improving your process. I always recommend that after a few projects, you come back and do a post mortem. Okay, what went well? What what didn't go so well? How can we improve on that? And then where can we take further advantage of the technology to grow our implementation? Gotcha. Thank you from falling behind. There you go. Get some wins under your belt and keep on building on those successes or yeah. failures. And, and you learn you know, something what slow. not to do. <laughs> you know, right. Have a, have a, like a three years as my colleague, Robbie uh, Sadawi always says, have a three year plan. Where do you want to be in one year? Where do you want to be in two years? Where do you want to be in three years and work toward that, but be ready to change course if you need to. Yeah, no, that makes sense. What are some ways that you could use BIM models to help find solutions to project issues going on? Um, so the obvious is clashes, right? So, oh, look, we have a duct going through a beam. Um, wow. That's a lot easier to deal with in a computer model than in a half-built building and a lot less expensive, right? Sure. So clash detection, that's an obvious, uh, but also procurement. Um, when you start getting onto the contractor side and the subcontractor side, you can use the building model for doing estimates. You can simulate the construction process, so for staging. Uh, you can um, literally animate the entire construction process and find out where you've got maybe a, a staging issue where you've got two subcontractors trying to work in the same spot at the same time. Maybe I need to change my schedule up a little bit. Uh -huh. It's really easy to see that with a visual animation, which is it's relatively easy and straightforward to, uh, to, to produce with a, BIM, uh, a building information model. Um, the building information model is more and more becoming a deliverable for the owner because the owner wants data in that model to be able to track equipment, uh, not only where the equipment is and what the equipment is, but what is its maintenance schedule, when was it last maintained, and then also space management and asset management. The, the building's there, the rooms are documented, they can take that right into a facilities management program. And more and more FM programs are now being uh, developed to, to, to talk and communicate directly with the Revit model. 
Nice. Those are just a few, right? So yeah. how many times, you know, if, you know, if, as an architect, I can't tell you how many times we would show a customer something on paper, right? Oh, look, here's a nice two-dimensional drawing of your of your building, and they think they understand what we're what we're doing until they see it built, and then it's like, no, that's not what I thought it was going to be. But if right. I show somebody a rendering um, or even an animation, a walkthrough, then that communicates a whole lot better than a bunch of static drawings. Yeah, so only one or two small, you know, use cases for it, huh? Just a few small, tiny use cases, yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, I got one more question for you, and it's about cultivating a collaborative team culture. But if you want to hear Matt's answer to that, you're going to need to subscribe to the podcast. All right, Matt, how would you recommend a firm go about cultivating a collaborative project team culture? Um, I think it has to come from the top down first. I think upper management needs to be not just tolerant of that change in, in workflow and technology, but I think they have to be driving it. And not just mandating, I think it is important that it does come from the top and, and management has to say, this is what we're doing. And also understand that there are going to be some people in the organization that are stressed by that because it's change. And as human beings, we're all resistant to change. You know, that's just the way we're wired. Sure. But I think, again, if you can, as upper management, if they can provide the tools and the support and the reassurance necessary to the users that, look, we know this is going to be a change. We're going to provide you the tools and then follow through on that promise to make it happen. And, you know, if you stumble and fall on the way, fine. That's part of the learning process, and, and, and we'll move ahead from there. I think that's a big part of it, just taking away the fear and making and empowering people and letting people know that that it's going to be okay, right? We're going to get through this and you've got our full support even when you mess up because you are going to mess up. The other thing, quite frankly, is I think reward people. You know, when people perform well and 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 move your, your organization forward on the kind of the BIM trail, um, reward them either monetarily or in some other way. It doesn't have to be money. It can be simply simple recognition, right? Um, I think that goes quite a long way toward uh, changing people's attitudes towards, towards change. Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Matt, for joining us on the show and, and unpacking how collaboration and the power of BIM360 platform can, can really help move the AEC industry forward. Okay, thanks. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Todd. Yeah, absolutely. You're welcome anytime. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thank you to those tuning into the show. If you're interested in learning more about collaboration or BIM360 platform, reach out to our sponsor, Applied Software, for a discovery call. Or you can visit ASTI.com and let them know we sent you. You can listen to this show anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. Until next time, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast, sponsored by Applied Software. Keep innovating. Thanks for listening to the Bridging the Gap podcast. Please spread the word by giving us a five-star review and share with your friends and coworkers. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our other applied software podcast, the AEC Disruptors. Thanks for listening. Bridging the Gap is produced and directed by Alyssa Chartier, edited by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production, copyright Applied Software 2019.